Good morning. I must say what a joy it is to be able to preach God's word to you. As Pastor Robin said, I bring you greetings from Grace North Shore. This morning, our scripture reading comes from Psalm 39. I invite you to uh, turn with me there in your uh, Bibles, and I believe the scripture will also be up on the screen. Psalm 39, a Psalm of David. I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This is God's word. You may be seated. This morning, I'd like to preach from this simple thought, a humble prayer for desperate times, a humble prayer for desperate times. Have you ever had to pray while being angry at God? Her name was Joni Erickson. Tata, and she was one adventurous woman. One of her favorite activities was diving, and she once had the opportunity to dive in the infamous Chesapeake Bay. Joni dove into the water, however, but she misjudged the shallowness of that water and, and ended up suffering a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical levels. Consequently, she became paralyzed from the shoulders down. And as a result, Joni was, was bitter against God, wondering why he would allow this to happen to her. Knowing that her, her call as a Christian was to bring her distress to God, she, she still wrestled with the fact that, that she was angry with the pain God had allowed. Have you ever had to pray while being angry at God? Maybe angry because of your, your suffering, your past trauma, your present circumstances. 
The student athlete who spent countless hours in training only to perform far below where they know they can. The employee who, after seasons of loyalty to their company, still gets let go from their company. The faithful churchgoer who experiences sickness in their family, or maybe even receives their own cancer diagnosis. The godly woman or man who yearns to give love and affection only to be disappointed relationship after relationship. The devout Christian parents who raise their child in the ways of the Lord, yet that child has gone through much hurt and much trouble. Not to mention the disappointment many of us have faced in the last two years. I know I'm supposed to bring my distress to God, but I'm frustrated with God. Church, I believe this is exactly where we find the psalmist in our text this Sunday. After all, it's, it's said of the psalms that, that whatever your particular need or trouble, there is a psalm for it. Here we find the writer in anguish, in, in distress because of a particular situation. What's the cause of his anguish? Who is responsible for this distress? Well, the opening lines of our text do not make it clear. Nevertheless, it is clear. Not only is the writer in deep suffering, but, but he has strong feelings towards God, who has allowed this suffering. But the psalmist teaches us something crucial to the life of faith. Though he has the right mind to pray, he also needs the right mindset in prayer. Many of us know we are to bring our suffering, our frustration, our distress to God, but, but do we have the right mindset when we approach God? It begs the question, does it not? When are you and me in the right mindset to bring our distress to God? Well, the first thing the psalmist wants us to understand is that in the midst of distress, we must be committed to guarding our tongue from sinning against God. The psalmist said, I will, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with the muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. The psalmist says, I was, I was angry at my situation. I was heated in my distress, so much so that I had to keep my mouth from sinning against the Lord. Watch the repetition in the text. He says, I will guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth so long as the wicked are in my presence. What's the reason for him guarding his tongue? Because he knows if he speaks, he is going to speak evil against the Lord. God, I thought you were a good God. I thought you were who you say that you are. I, I placed my trust in you. I entrusted my life to you, and you failed me. The psalmist says, no, I've got to guard my tongue from speaking that evil against God in my distress. I'm so committed to it, I have to put a muzzle on my mouth. I've got to restrain my speech. Have you ever been there, church? Have you ever felt like you didn't deserve the suffering life had dealt you and you were tempted to speak evil against God? 
God, I deserve better. I've been doing good, Lord. I've been faithfully following you, serving you for some time now, and, and you are going to allow me to experience this mess. Surely this is where Job's wife found herself. The book of Job tells the story of the, the righteous man, one of impeccable and incomparable character, who was attacked in every way by Satan the accuser. Job, a, a man who was blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil, was pursued by the accuser. Satan, Satan took Job's property, his livestock, even his children and his health. And after witnessing her husband's suffering, Job's wife cries out to him, you still hold your integrity, curse God and die. Because in her mind, her and her husband deserved better. We deserve greater. Because of who we are and what we've done and how much we've given, God, our lives should be greater. We deserve better than our present circumstances. We deserve better in our health, our finances, our relationships, our spiritual life. And this is the same framework that is tempting for you and me to adopt as well. I deserve better. So God, I'm tempted to curse you for the pain you've allowed me to experience. But the writer of Psalm 39 says, no, I, I will not speak evil against your name, Lord. I won't give evildoers any reason to speak wrong of you or mock your name either. I will guard my mouth. The psalmist who feels the distress remains committed to keeping his tongue from sin. But he tells us the result, what came out of keeping his silence. Verse, verses 2 and 3, he writes, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. The psalmist explains that his silence did absolutely no good. His distress worsened. He, he became increasingly angry at his situation. As he reflected, he burned on the inside. This burning inside led to the psalmist finally bursting out in prayer to God. He who was once committed to guarding his tongue from speaking evil about God finally bursts out in speech to God. And herein lies a model for you and me. While it can be helpful and spiritually advantageous to, to share with other Christians, to share with your growth group how we feel about God in our sad situations, may we also remember to bring those same situations directly to God in prayer. May we speak to God directly. This is what the psalmist does. He, he bursts out in speech to God, but... But pay attention to how he speaks. Because much like the psalmist, you and I feel the anger, the anguish, the burst in our soul when we're in distress. But before we burst out our feelings to God, what do we need to ask of God? Friends, in the midst of distress, we must ask God to remind us of our frailty. We need to ask him to remind us of our brevity here on this earth. The text reads, Then I spoke with my tongue, O Lord, make me know the, 
my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. The psalmist calls upon the Lord to, to cause him to know the brevity and frailty of human life. Now, why does the psalmist make this move? Well, scholars are divided, and some believe the psalmist is asking God, when will the end of his suffering take place? But, but as we follow the flow of the psalm, if the problem in verses 1 through 3 is pride, God, I deserve a better life because of who I am, then the solution, the medicine in this section must be humility. God, I believe I deserve better, but remind me of who I really am before you. Thus, here the psalmist asks God to remind him of his frailty. He asks God to, to put him in his proper place, Lord, remind me of who I'm talking to. Remind me that I'm small and that you're big. After all, after all, you alone, God, know the measure of my days. You know how fleeting I am. You have numbered my days here on earth. I am but a, a mere breath before you, a mere shadow. He even gives an example. He says, humans love to gather up all this wealth believing they're in control, not knowing who will truly be in control of that wealth when all is said and done. Friends, the psalmist teaches us that before we can pray to God for deliverance, for him to rescue us for our, from our distress, we need the right mindset, which is humility. Truthfully, this text teaches you and me that we should bring our distress to God in prayer after we acknowledge our humble position before him. When we acknowledge, God, you, are alone, you alone are the one who is great. You are the one who, who deserves all the glory, honor, praise, and adoration. I am but a mere breath. I didn't number my days, nor can I add to my days. God, you alone have, have made my days. You are the great I am, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, in the end, you are the everlasting one, the God who remains forever. And I am only breathing, living, existing because you allow me to do so. I am grateful that you have not given me what I truly deserve, separation from you on account of my sin. But you have lavished me with grace, mercy, fellowship, and security in your son, Jesus Christ. I am adopted to into your family as a son, as a daughter. I am, I am grateful for your gifts, miracles and wonders, the ones I haven't even taken the time to thank you for. And, and when you and I acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from above, we can come to a place of humble trust and prayer before God. It was that New England Episcopal preacher, Philip Brooks, who so wonderfully laid out the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature, 
that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. Friends, in our distress, may we remember that God is the one who is great. He has the authority to do as he pleases. But out of his kindness, grace, and love, God desires to be with us and to carry us through this life. We are to remain humble before him. Though now, now that we have been reminded of God's permanence in the midst of our brevity, how should we pray? The psalmist moves by telling us that in the midst of distress, we should pray relying upon God alone to deliver us. Verses 7 through 11, he cries out, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do, do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. After the psalmist reflects on the truth that humans are only a mere breath, and God alone is permanent and great, he accepts that God alone is his, is his hope for deliverance. In my distress, what is my hope? Who is my hope? Well, my hope is you, Lord. I wait for you alone, Lord. You are the one who has the power to deliver me, but also the willingness to deliver me because you love me. And he gives several commands to God to deliver him, which is, which is what we'd expect to pray while we're in distress. But I want us to notice just what the psalmist prays. He says in verse 8, deliver me from my transgressions. A few lines later in verse 10, remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. Remember, the reason for the psalmist's prayer is that he is in anguish. He's in deep distress at a particular situation. And as you recall, the, the opening section of the psalm was unclear. Verses 1 through 3 didn't tell us the cause of the distress, who, who was causing the psalmist to suffer. But it is here in this section that he reveals answers to both of those questions. First, the psalmist reveals that his suffering was his own fault. It was his own sin, his own rebellion that was the cause of his suffering. He's praying to God for deliverance from distress, but does not share with us until now that he was the reason for his own distress. The psalmist calls God to deliver him from his own transgressions, his own rebellion, now, we know from Genesis chapter 3 that all suffering is a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden. Consequently, there are Christians here today and across the globe who, who experience awful circumstances at no fault of their own. You didn't cause it. It is just the fallen world we live in. Be that as it may, could it also be true that, that there are some of us in the sanctuary who suffer like the psalmist, because we are reaping the results of our own sinful choices, our own rebellion. We, we've put ourselves in a pickle. 
We've placed ourselves in dire situations and are suffering the consequences of our own sin. We're struggling in our marriage, failing in relationships, knowing that we've caused the harm to others, knowing that we've brought the strife to that relationship. We lament our financial situation knowing we've cheated God and others out of what is theirs. We're currently in poor career and social situations because we refuse to submit to God's wisdom. We worship and gave our lives to the gifts God gave us instead of worshiping him who granted us those gifts. And now we're suffering. And This is where we find the psalmist. The psalmist calls upon the Lord not to let the wicked rejoice over him after his mistakes. He cries out to God for help after rebelling against God. Nevertheless, we also find that, that it was God's hand, not the enemies who were disciplining the psalmist. It was, it was God's discipline for the writer's sin that left him in distress, which is why he asked God for relief. He cries to God, Lord, remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. Friends, it is one thing for God to allow pain in your life so that it matures you as a believer. But what do you do when God himself is disciplining you as a father does his child for, for their rebellion? Friends, God, our good father, disciplines us for sin, and, and the psalmist is experiencing this firsthand. He, he feels as if he's at the end of himself. There was a funny quote by Alexander Martin, who instructs that parents' discipline should be based on the four Fs. Whoa, the four Fs. Firmness, fondness, frankness, and fairness. He says, parents who cannot say no to a child often rear children who have contempt for authority. But parents who get too angry over minor infractions often fail to instill a sense of discipline and their children. All that to say, God, who is the perfect parent, makes it clear that there are consequences for rebelling against him. Whether it's allowing distressing things to happen to us, or like the psalmist says in verse 11, causing to melt, taking away the things that are dear to us. The psalmist prays that God would limit his consequences because of his human frailty, but, but I have also brought good news this morning. We, we find that the same Father God who disciplines because of his love also delivers because of his love. And this is good news for us today because whether we're suffering this morning at, at the fault of our own or not, God is still gracious to deliver us. But what should be the basis, the reason for believing God will answer our prayer for deliverance? Well, the psalmist concludes by letting us know that in the midst of distress, we should trust in God's faithfulness as the basis for our deliverance, not our own greatness. In verses 12 through 13, he gives one last plea. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. 
Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Listen again to the repetition of the imperatives. Hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. Do not be deaf to my tears. Church, when you are in distress, is this how you pray? Do you pray with desperation for God to answer you as the psalmist? Do you pray as if you need God to come through to respond to your prayer for deliverance? Because he is a God who does hear our prayers. Though it's not because of our ability to love God or our greatness, but God's faithfulness. The psalmist says, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Like Abraham, the psalmist was a foreigner. And he was aware of God's faithfulness to those who went before him. It was, it was God's love who, who reached out to his fathers. And, and he believes the same love will be shown to him. However, the basis for his deliverance, the basis for God coming through was, was not the psalmist's background or, or prestige or even his behavior or church attendance, but it was God's love, God's covenant love for his people. It was the character and nature of God, how the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so it begs the question, when you pray, what's the basis for God delivering you? Is it how good you've been, or is it how good God has always been? When you pray, do you believe God will answer your prayer because, because of how faithful you've been to him this month, or how faithful he is to you every month? How he never leaves you nor forsakes you, but has tied himself to you in loving kindness. And if you need a reminder of God's faithfulness to his covenant, God's steadfast love and faithfulness to you, look no further than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there was anyone who did not deserve his distress, it was the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, knew no sin but became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God gave up his one and only Son so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins, reconciled back to himself and spend eternity with him. Jesus came from heaven to earth, lived without sin and died on that cross and, and was buried. But on the third day, God raised him from the grave, defeating sin, hell, and the grave. And, and Jesus will return again for his church to bring all who believe in him where he is. Truly, if while we were God's enemies, he sent his son to deliver us, how much more will God be faithful to hear our prayers for deliverance now that we're his children? Jesus told us that we would have trouble here on earth, but, but one day when he returns, he will do away with all trouble, sin, pain, and distress. And God can deliver us here on this earth, but, but he will surely do it when Christ returns. And this is the faithfulness of God. This we are to trust and hold fast to, not our own greatness, but God's faithfulness. And as I conclude, today we find the psalmist in anguish and distress because of his own sin. 
As a result, he is angry at his circumstances. And while he has the right mind to pray, he, he has to arrive at the right mindset in prayer. And you may find yourself in a similar situation, whether, it's due, whether it is due to your own doing or just life's troubling circumstances. Right now, you are in distress. And you know, you hear it preached all the time, that you should bring your distress to God, but need to get to the right place of prayer. This psalm, Psalm 39, teaches us that we should bring our distress to God only when we acknowledge our humble position before God. God, I am a sinner in need of a savior. You are my savior who loves me, knows what's right for me, and, and does only what is best for me. I entrust myself to you, I trust you. And surely, God will be faithful to hear our prayers and care for us because he is a good and gentle father. Amen. Amen. Dear God, I thank you for blessing us with another day. Father, I ask that you would carry us uh, through our trials and distress. I ask that we would trust in your faithfulness to us and your kindness. And I ask that you would give us confidence to pray to you, believing that you hear us and that you love us. We thank you for our grace that we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please carry us forward.